I'm super excited you're here because we're starting a new series today called Creed. And I wanted to tell you about um, why we're doing this and what it can mean to us. So thank you for coming. I know it took a lot of effort to get here today. Thank you so much. The Apostles' Creed was written, um, who knows, uh, the earliest recorded understanding of it is about 120 uh, A.D. So it's been around nearly 1900 years. Now, uh, we have traditions in the Christian church. This is one that many of us Baptists, if you grew up Baptist, I didn't grow up with these sorts of traditions, like reciting the Apostles' Creed. But you have to understand, across the world and throughout the centuries, the Apostles' Creed, in fact, today, in many parts of the world, the Apostles' Creed is being read and recited as part of the liturgy of, of church services. So what I love about the creed is that it connects us with other Christians across the planet. Today, across the planet, there are people who, they believe the same things we believe. And so the creed kind of talks about, this is the stuff we believe. Now, at Christmas time, we have a tradition at my house now, not when I was growing up, but my wife brought a tradition into the family, and our girls, we have something... We have an Advent calendar. I didn't have that growing up. An Advent calendar is an opportunity for my wife to go buy 24 gifts apiece for four daughters. 24 times four, it's a lot. I mean, that's, that's complicated math, but that's a lot. So she goes and she spends copious amounts of time buying the right gifts and giving to the girls, and lots of times it's kind, they're kind of trinkety things, and I just thought, I'm a little cynical, and I was like, I, how, how important can that be to my kids? So I texted them, I, I asked them, how big a deal is it for mom to do the advent calendar for you? This is what they wrote me. Um, uh, oh, I absolutely loved the advent gifts. I think starting the Advent bags is what really starts the Christmas season for me. This is Mallory. Um, I love how much thought she puts into the gifts. And I'm like, how much thought does she put? Um, from little Christmassy trinkets to practical items to food. Funny story, I had nothing to eat for dinner the other night. And I didn't want to go out to the store. And I opened the Advent bag. And for that day, she had a packet of pasta sides, which was a beautiful thing. Um, so it doesn't really matter, evidently, what she puts in there, but they love it. Uh, this is Amaris, our oldest. I love it, too, especially because it's unique to every other family's tradition. It's kind of our deal, and, and we kind of like it. And then Janelle uh, writes, For me, uh, they're a little daily reminder of how much Mom loves me. That's sweet. And that she took the time to make them and thought of me, even though I don't live at home. It's been really nice this year because stuff in my house is tense, but having the Advent bags reminds me of home. Traditions are interesting. For some people like my kids, these traditions mean the world to them. And so beginning on December 1st, they start opening gifts and they all get a little gift every day and it's a big deal. Traditions can go the other way though, you know this, because sometimes traditions become rote and kind of disappointing, and they're just not meaningful. And so, I didn't grow up with Advent. I didn't grow up uh, with Lent. I think some people in some traditions, you know, Lent begins, I think this year, February 14th, 
And it's something you give up for 40 days uh, in anticipation of Easter. And really, that's a, it's a great tradition as well. It's just not something I grew up with. So to, we're studying the creed. You have to understand the Apostles' Creed wasn't written by the Apostles. And a creed is simply a statement of what we believe. And we're going to read it in just a, a minute together. But understand, the creed has no authority over us. It's not something that we adhere to. But what it is, is it, it is a systematic um, a compilation of what we believe that we've believed really for centuries. It's called the Apostles' Creed. At one time there was a tradition people thought that each apostle contributed to it. I think most people don't believe that's true anymore, but it reflects the teaching of the apostles. And so uh, the word creed comes from the um, uh, Greek word credo, which just means I believe, and that's what we're talking about today. So why are we studying it? Well, there's a couple reasons. First, it's the oldest, most widely accepted systematic thought of belief. The second reason is um, it, it's, it offers a broad survey of Christian doctrine. I like it because it begins with creation and it ends with uh, eternity. It's, it's sort of from A to Z, this is what we believe. Now, it's not comprehensive. It doesn't include everything. We believe you know, some things about the Bible. It's not included in the creed. There are certain things it doesn't include. So it's not comprehensive, but, but it is a nice, simple, systematic theology. And I like that. And then it promotes community because, like I said before, um, not only are we looking at it, but there are people all over the planet looking at the creed today. So I, I was trying to think up a way, how can we study theology that would be interesting? Um, theology is the study of what? Of God. Theos is God. Ology is study of. And we believe certain doctrines as Christians. And those are being attacked in some forms in our world today. And so I thought, you know, it really would be important, it really is important for us to think through what we believe and why we believe what we believe. And it was just, if the Lord said, you know, the Apostles' Creed is kind of cool, you ought to look at that. And so I began to look at that and I thought, it's a great launching off spot for us. Now, the reason the Creed is important to us is not because... Again, we don't preach the creed, we preach the Bible. The Bible has informed the creed. I look at it like this. The creed is like the moon. It doesn't provide light, but it reflects light. And so that's what we're looking at today. So the Apostles' Creed reads like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And every week we're going to look at a section of this, by the way, for the next few weeks. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the, th uh, on the third day, he rose again. We, we're going to celebrate this at Easter. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty. Now, the right hand means the, uh, he, he's at the position of power next to the king. Uh, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. And these are the things that we believe. Now, early on it's believed that this, the creed, was used to help people, to help pastors, basically, know if somebody was ready to be baptized. And so they would say, um, do you believe that God is the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? 
And, and the, the baptismal candidate would say yes, uh, if they did. And then, do you believe that Jesus is God's only Son, our Lord? And, that, and so, so on and so on. And that's how it would go. And so the creed became, uh, it went from being this baptismal uh, help to something that people began to use in, um, in services. Now, it's important for us to be unified around what we believe. You know, in life, in our world, uh, politics is really divisive. If you're a Republican, it seems like you can't stand the Democrats, and the Democrats can't stand the Republicans. And it, it's just, and then sports. Now, fortunately, in our church, there's not, there's not any conflict uh, about what teams we, we like um, because we're all Kentucky fans. And, and I get that, I like that, but. Um, but Unity is important, right? It's really important. So think about the creed like this. I brought this relic from 2014 called a road atlas. Nobody uses these anymore because we have a new thing called the phone. Anyway, but remember the road atlas. If you remember the road atlas, they have different kinds of maps. And you, you, the big map, the big map is America. Now, the America map is great if you're trying to go from Taylor's to Seattle, that would make sense. If you're trying to go from church to the mall after the service, this map does you how much good? None, right? None. So if you want to know about going from Taylor's to Columbia, you'd find the South Carolina map, wherever that is in here. It's alphabetical. I could find it if I needed to. And so you find that. And if you want to go from here to the mall, you're going to want to find the Greenville map if they have one in this big atlas. Okay, so what the creed is, it's the big map. Here are the big things we believe. This is stuff that we hold to be truth, and we believe this. It's the big stuff, not the little stuff. It's the big stuff. It's the map of the United States. Now, as a pastor... One of my obligations to you is to make sure we believe. I can't, I can't believe for you. I can only put truth in front of you. But it, it is a... Sometimes I think, I, I even for, have forgotten in my, in my career, in my history, how important a job the pastor has is. And I don't, I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm, let me tell you this. Paul, Paul said this. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Now, he was sort of a bishop over bigger, you know, a bigger organization. But it is really important that what the pastor teaches is truth. And, and Paul one time writes to one of his protégés, a guy named Timothy, uh, what you heard from me, what you heard me teaching, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. We are to teach the Bible. And we're to present it as truthfully as possible. So today we're going to look at a little verse in a book of the Bible called Jude. Um, the Beatles even wrote a song about it. Uh, hey Jude. If you don't know where Jude is, the last book of the Bible is Revelation. Back up one, it's the next to the last book of the Bible. It's easy to miss. It's 25 verses long. One chapter, tiny. You may have never read anything out of the book of Jude. It's possible, it's probable, you may have never been there. But if you want to find your way to Jude, we're going to look at one verse today from the book of Jude. And it's 
kind of an important, it's a command from this little book. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. We're going to kind of unpack that a little bit. Number one, we have to understand that ours is a holy faith. It's holy because our God is holy. It's most holy because our God is most holy. And we're to take what we believe seriously. It's, it's not, here's, what, here's the struggle in, in America today, is that there's this idea that everybody's belief is equal. Well, everybody's belief isn't equal. It's not all the same. And what you believe is really important. And if we're not careful, we're going to lose this. What we believe is really important. And so, it's a holy faith. It's a holy faith because it was given to us by a holy God, and we learn it from something called the Holy Bible. So we're to build ourselves up. This is a command. The second thing is, spiritual growth isn't optional. It doesn't say, if you feel like it, you should build yourself up. Or, if you're in the mood... Or, if you're a great student, you should build yourself up. It doesn't say this. What it says is, this is a command to us that we are to build ourselves up. It's not like it's the only place in Scripture that talks about this. In 2 Peter, it says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, it says, we are to grow up and be more like Christ. And so, when we become followers of Jesus, spiritual growth is something that's supposed to be part of of our life. So when we began 2018, if when we end 2018 we've not grown spiritually, then we have an issue in our relationship with God. We should be growing spiritually. Um, and it doesn't just happen. If you determined, beginning of 2018, that you wanted to lose weight, um, you wanted to get in shape, and I know round is a shape, but you want to do a different shape, a different shape, a better shape maybe. And if you determined, hey, I want to be in better shape, and you set goals, okay, by February 1st, you know, I, I used to weigh 200, and now I want to weigh 190. I want to lose 10 pounds this month. And, and you, you set the goal, and you put it on the calendar. It's on the calendar. Uh, February 1, 190. Uh, March 1, uh, 180. I'm going to lose 10 pounds, and this is what I'm going to do. If you, you set the goal. Now, I'm no expert in this. I obviously am not good at it, uh, just so you know. I'm not touting myself. I don't have any videos to sell about how to get fit. But here's one thing I know about getting fit. If on January 1 you determined that you wanted to get in better shape, and by February 1 you wanted to have lost 10 pounds, but you didn't change anything that you do during that month, there's a really good chance you're not going to be successful. If you do the same things for the whole month, you're going to end up February 1 the same weight you ended up, you started with January 1. If you don't change something, you're not going to get better. This is kind of simple. In fact, what's the, the definition of insanity is to do the same things over and over but expect a different result. And so, just like anything else, if I want to get better at something, I'm probably going to have to change something. So, in, in my spiritual walk, you don't grow spiritually by accident. 
There, you, you are going to probably have to change things if you want to be better spiritually than you are now. That could mean I'm going to make more time to read my Bible, or I'm going to make some time to read my Bible. I'm going to make certain I go to church more often. I'm going to be in a small group. I'm going to find a place to serve. Something in my life is going to change so that I can be better at the end of this thing. All right, so the command is we are to build ourselves up, and it's likely to involve change. The third thing about this is that we believe in a God who has the right to tell us what to do. We believe there's an authority figure in our life, and it's not us. Because we live in a world that's constantly telling us, follow your heart, and what you believe is important. And here's what's really funny. We're told that having a belief is fine. It really doesn't matter what you believe. I'm here to tell you having a belief is fine, and what you believe is really important. It does matter what you believe. There is truth. It comes from the Bible. Let, let me read you an article. This is um, by a, a young lady by the name of Christina O'Done. And she writes here in, um, let's see, what the, this is in The Guardian. It's a, a paper from, I believe, um, England. And she's talking about how Christians behave. And she writes, um, we believe in authority. In an era that practices and prizes individual freedom, Christians believe in a supreme being who dictates our words and deeds. In mo to modern ears, the concept sounds outrageously autocratic. From when we die to when we give birth, from, when, uh, from whom to have sex with, from wh to whom to spend our, our, how to spend our money, the uh, characteristic belief that, should, that we should enjoy unlimited freedom isn't part of Christianity. Uh, for the Christian, freedom is not an end in and of itself. Unfettered individualism can lead... To, to greed and selfishness, the invasion of personal responsibility, uh, the destruction of the family. Christians believe that from an all-powerful authority stems a clear system of judgment which teaches that there is right and wrong. We are, in some ways, rebelling against the system when we say we believe. Now, it's interesting because... It's not as if this is some unique strategy of Satan to get people off course. From the very beginning, his first challenge to Eve was, did God really say that? Is that do you really believe that's true? And here at church you're going to hear, well, th these are things that we believe. And you're going to hear a voice in your heart and in your mind that says, do you really think that's true? And you're going to have to determine, are these things I really believe? Now, Jesus prayed for us in John 17. Technically, it's called uh, the high priestly prayer. Jesus prays this as he's heading to the cross. And he prays it for all believers. And he prays for you and me, those who are going to come later. He says, for those who come later, this is his prayer. And this is what he prays. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Today, the world follows this kind of false trinity of tolerance and diversity and pluralism. But what we think is that there is truth and it comes from God. And not all things that are touted to be truth are the same. 
My daughter Elise right here plays basketball for the middle school team. She's a baller. I mean, it's awesome. Anybody, has anybody ever watched middle school girls basketball? Bless your hearts. Bless your hearts. Um, there's a special seat in heaven near Jesus for people who've had to watch middle school girls basketball. If I'm lying, I'm dying. We, I went to a game the other day, and the, and the score at halftime was three to nothing. There were more jump balls than points. Uh, I can tell you this. All right, anyway. So, uh, Dwayne came one day. We were watching the game. Elise had the ball. It was at the end of a quarter, and the clock was running down. And there were some, uh, some students in the stands. We were at an away game because these people are the spawn of Satan. Uh, they, uh, they began counting the clock down. Five, four, three, two. They did it, and at least had the ball. Now, the problem was they did it with like 20 seconds left. See, it's a tactic. It's a strategy. And what they were trying to do was fool my sweet, innocent little daughter into shooting too early. Five, four, three. And you know what Elise did? She shot early because of those little punks in the stands, which, by the way, I stared at uh, with some measure of angst. Killing people is wrong under certain circumstances. But now, uh, anyway, anyway. So she shot early. She missed it. Here's what's really funny. One of their girls got the rebound and walked with it because she thought time was out. So we got the ball back. That's right. That's right. So those losers. But here's the point. There's a point to the story. From where we get our truth the source of our truth is incredibly important. She took their word for it. I guess ideally she would have looked at the clock. I mean, when you're in the sixth grade and you've never played before, it's kind of hard to know that. Now she knows that. She's learned something. Ideally, you look at the real source, not what somebody says to you is the source. You look at the source yourself. And here's what I the, the, kind of the main point of the day is, is this. What we believe is really important. But that what we believe is biblical is critical. And that we live what we believe is imperative. It's not just that you believe something and all things are the same. Not all things are the same. Don't buy the lie that says, well, if you're sincere, it's enough. You can be sincerely wrong. People are sincerely wrong all the time. They really believe it. They're just not right. And so the Bible tells us what to believe. Not just that you believe. Look at this verse. This was written 3,000 years ago. This verse was written 3,000 years ago. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That could have been written this morning in America. Everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. Who are you to judge me? I feel this, and my feelings are determinate of what I do. If I feel like it, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just following my heart. We hear that kind of stuff. Jude was written in a time, it was written to people, there were false teachers 
and we kind of feel that today. And what's really funny is, man, it's not funny, it's sad. What's really sad is there are people today who have no idea what they believe or why they believe what they believe. Look, I want to read a quote to you. I'm going to put it on, on, on the screen. This was uh, an interview done with a 20-something-year-old kid out of Boston. I, I want, let's just read it. Look at this. I don't know what I believe in. And if I believe, I believe there's some higher power, I think. But I don't know. Like, right now I'm, I'm at a point where I don't know what to believe, but I'm open to everything, so I like to believe in everything because I don't know what it is I truly believe in. Uh, think about <laughs> the notion of this. I believe in something. Everybody has a theology. Whether you want to or not, you believe something. Everybody has a theology. And you get it from some place. Everybody has a belief system. What I want, the point I'm trying to make is the source of your belief system is vital to your belief system. See, we, we are a people who live by something called orthodoxy. And what the creed is, is, this is the orthodoxy. This is what we hold to be truth. Truth's not optional. Truth isn't up for grabs. It's not determined by how you feel or majority opinion or a poll someplace. Truth isn't a moving target. Truth is truth. And it comes from God. There is a truth. It's given to us by God. We find it in Scripture. This is the point of this series. Now, Jesus shows us, he tells us how important it is what we believe. Look at what he said once. I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Jesus is instructional here. This is incredibly important. Not just that you believe, but what you believe. And he says, anyone who believes, there's a, an object of belief in me. It's that vital. This is incredibly important. In Romans, Paul writes this, For I'm not ashamed of this good news, the gospel about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who what? Believes. Before Christians were called Christians, they were called believers. What we believe separates us from other people. Um, Sets us apart, maybe that's the way I should say it. The first Christians, they were moral, great moral people, but they also believed that Jesus was God's son and he rose from the dead. And that separated, that, that is a distinction for them. That's a distinction for us. And so when we recite the Apostles' Creed, we're not saying, I believe this is true for me. What we're saying is, I believe this is true. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And I believe in Jesus, who's his only son, and he's my Lord. I believe in the resurrection, and I believe in the Holy Spirit, and I believe in the communion of saints. I believe these things. I don't believe these things are just right for me. I believe these things 
are right. That's why we're studying it. Your source of truth is it's just vital. Now, we looked at this verse last week. It's kind of one of my go-to verses. The human heart is the most deceitful things of all, deceitful of all things, and desperately wicked. What we have to do when people say, "Well, I'm just, I'm just following my heart." Well, Jeremiah seventeen nine says, "Your heart is most deceitful, and incredibly wicked." And we can convince ourselves that just about anything is right. I, I found this illustration, and, and it, as a dad of daughters, this really speaks to me. Let's say one of your kids is in high school, your, your daughter, and, and you say to her as she goes out on a date, you must be home by 11. And it gets to be 1045, and she's out with her boyfriend, and they're having a good time. And the conversation goes something like this. When dad said, you must be home before 11, did he literally mean us? Or was he talking about you in a general term, in a general sense? Like, people in general are home by 11. As a general rule, people are home at 11. Or was he making the observation, generally, people are in their homes before 11? I mean, he wasn't very clear. And he's a loving father and... Why would a loving father be so adamant and inflexible? He probably means it as a suggestion. I know he loves me, so isn't it implicit that he wants me to be happy? And if I'm having a good time, then he wouldn't want me to end the evening so soon. So actually, he didn't specify whose home. Uh, It could be anybody's home. Maybe he meant it figuratively. Remember the old saying, home is where the heart is? My heart is right here. That means I'm already home. And he didn't specify 11 p.m. or 11 a.m. Or what time zone? It's only a quarter to seven in Hawaii. As a matter of fact, when you think about it, it's always before 11. Whatever time it is, it's always before the next 11. So, with all of these ambiguities, you can't really be sure what he meant at all. Now, it's tortured, isn't it? Because the human heart is deceitful. We can talk ourselves into just about anything. That's why a standard of truth is really important. The book of Jude that the Beatles sang a song about. We just saw that verse. Um, We're to... Build up our faith. Right before that, two verses, the two verses prior to that, these are them. Remember the prediction of the apostle, Jude writes. For they said to you, in the last times there will be mockers indulging their own ungodly lusts. It is these worldly people devoid of the spirit who are causing divisions. Again, it's as if it could have been written yesterday. So maybe you've gotten on the wrong path. Here's what I love about our God. He's a loving God and he's an accepting God and he wants you to come home, God. And too many people are trying to do something for God. But God never asks us to do anything other than believe. See, here's the point. God does the doing and we do the believing. And all of the benefits of believing, 
uh, eternal life, relationship with God, heaven, forgiveness, being a part of God's family, uh, all are based not on what we do, but on what we believe. The gospel isn't a message of try harder or do more. The gospel is, if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, and you accept it, if you believe it, He did the work. God does the doing. We do the believing. That's why it's so incredibly important what we believe. So in this series, next week we're going to look at um, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of creator, uh, creator of heaven and earth, Maker of heaven and earth. And then we're going to look at Jesus. And the interesting thing about the creed is about seventy percent of it deals with Christ. It's very the theological term is Christocentric. It's centered on Christ. And we're going to look at these pieces individually. And I, I'm excited about it. I mean, I've learned so much just looking at it myself. I can't wait to kind of unpack it with you. But let's pray. And we're going to pray this. We're going to pray that God solidifies what we believe in our hearts. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity today to think about what we believe. And this makes us unique and radical and different in our world, which tells us all beliefs are the same and all are equal and all paths lead to God. But that's not what you say. And it really doesn't matter what they say because it does matter what you say. And when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, we either believe that or we don't. And that changes things. Because either Jesus told the truth or he didn't. And if he didn't tell the truth then, then did he ever tell the truth? I pray, God, that you will sear into our hearts and our consciences this idea that what we believe is vital. That what we believe is biblical makes us who we are. And that if we truly believe these things, that we will live them out. Father, we thank you for loving us and your patience with us. And even when we stumble, you love us. Lord, we're thankful that you did the doing and we just do the believing. We love you and we pray that we would follow you closely. And that we would obey you wholeheartedly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.